The study of language and gender emerged as a serious field within linguistics in the 1970s and it's generally thought of as a branch of sociolinguistics which studies the relationship of language to society and culture and history. But in recent years, the biggest debate that's emerged around um, the language use of men and women is really whether it is that sort of field or whether the differences between men and women that we observe in their linguistic behaviour have some kind of biological basis. So recently, for instance, in 2011, a book's been published called Duels and Duets by John Locke, which says, which makes very confident claims like this one. Um, Men and women speak in fundamentally different ways, largely because they are outfitted by nature to do so. So for people like Locke, it's a matter of genes, hormones, the organisation, or as people like to say, the wiring of the human brain. Is this true? Well, I don't think the evidence is is very good. On some of it, uh, the jury's still out, but in other ways, it just isn't a very helpful way to look at the minutiae of linguistic behaviour. So I'm going to talk a bit about why I think that is. Okay, if you haven't been living on another planet for the last 20 years, you'll probably know um, what the story, the great popular story about differences between men and women is. The idea is that um, women on average are more verbally skilled than men um, and that the two sexes have preferences for different types of behaviour. So women talk more than men and attach more importance to talking. Female conversation tends to be people-focused, collaborative and empathetic, whereas men treat talking either as a means of approaching practical tasks or as a kind of competitive sport. This is what I call the the Mars and Venus view after the self-help book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And it often goes along with the belief that the differences are natural, they're part of our genetic inheritance or a result of the way our brains work. So I'm going to explain why I and most other linguists take a different view. The research evidence doesn't support the most common beliefs about male-female linguistic differences, either what they actually are or what the best explanation for them is. Now, I'm not going to deny that there are gender-linked differences, and I don't think any linguist who'd, who'd studied them would deny that. On the contrary, there are many differences but they're not the ones that are endlessly harped on in popular literature. As an illustration, consider the belief that women talk more than men. In 2006, a popular science book called The Female Brain went so far as to put some actual numbers on this difference. It said that women on average utter 20,000 words per day, whereas the male average is a paltry 7,000. This claim made headlines around the world, most of which were some variation on Science finally proves what we all knew all along. But on investigation, it turned out that there was no science. The figures had been lifted from a self-help book, whose author appeared to have plucked them out of thin air. After this was pointed out, some researchers in Arizona decided to try to settle the argument by conducting their own scientifically designed word-counting study. With a sample of almost 400 subjects who were recorded over several days, they found a lot of individual variation, you know, different people had different numbers of words, 
but no significant gender difference at all. The mean number of words per day was approximately 16,000 for both sexes. For various reasons, linguists don't regard counting the words uttered in a certain time period as a very useful measure of group differences in talkativeness. But the Arizona findings did fit with what we already knew from studies that had used other measures. In casual talk among equals, men and women contribute about equally. In formal situations where status is a factor, most studies find men talking more than women. However, some studies have reported exceptions to this pattern, and these suggest that the explanation isn't directly about gender, it's about status. In situations where status is relevant, high-status speakers, not surprisingly, tend to talk more than lower-status speakers. Gender is indirectly relevant because in many formal situations there is still a tendency for men to outnumber women in the high-status positions. The exceptions that I just mentioned were cases where either the highest-ranking participants did happen to be women, or else the discussion was on a topic which both sexes considered a female area of expertise, and that meant that the men were more likely to defer to the women. I've focused on the inaccurate belief that women talk more than men because it is very entrenched in popular folklore, but if I had time I could give a similar treatment to all the other generalisations um, that I spoke about at the beginning and that you find in popular literature about male-female differences. None of these generalisations are supported by good research evidence. And of course, that makes it pointless to argue about whether we should explain them as expressions of hardwired biological traits or the result of social influences or a mixture of the two. If a difference doesn't exist, then the question of what causes it doesn't arise. But at this point, someone might say, OK, but you've already conceded that some differences do exist. Couldn't they be related to underlying differences in verbal ability? Isn't there pretty good evidence for those differences? And also that there are differences in the way male and female brains are organised for language. To that, I would say that the jury is still out. Some of the very strong claims we hear go well beyond what the evidence currently justifies. For instance, there's an idea that women's more advanced verbal skills reflect the fact that their brains are less strongly lateralised for language than men's. This means women can make more use of both hemispheres of the brain for linguistic tasks, whereas men are more dependent on a single hemisphere. Uh, usually, in right-handed people, this would be the left hemisphere. This line of argument depends on two distinct claims, one about sex differences in lateralisation and one about sex differences in verbal skill. And although they're often presented as matters of scientific consensus, the truth is that both these claims are still strongly disputed. In each case, the issue has generated a large number of studies which inevitably didn't all use the same design or come to the same conclusions. In this situation, one way to sort out what the studies collectively show is to do what's called meta-analysis, subjecting various different findings to statistical analysis in an attempt to identify overall trends, to make the findings comparable even though they were arrived at by different means. On lateralisation, the most recent meta-analysis I know of, which was published in 2008, 
concluded that the evidence overall does not support the proposition that women's brains are less strongly lateralised for language than men's. And on verbal skill, meta-analyses carried out in 1988 and in 2006, uh, this one was like a meta-meta-analysis using other meta-analyses, uh, they both concluded that although there is a difference in verbal skill and overall it does favour females, on most measures it is slight or close to zero, meaning it's really too small to bear the weight of the, of the big story about difference that depends on it. The point has also been made that this way of measuring verbal skill using laboratory tests raises questions about what exactly subjects are displaying skill in. Are they good with language or are they just good at certain kinds of tests? And how well do those tests capture the verbal skills people deploy outside the lab? There's a considerable gap between what most people have in mind when they express the opinion that women are better with language and what gets measured in experimental studies. For instance, fluency as tested in the lab is not what most people would imagine the term fluency referred to. Let's say the ability to um, keep a conversation going or, or the ease with which someone can put ideas into words. Usually the test of fluency is something like Think of as many words as you can, beginning with this particular sound. And then you give people a, a time period and you count how many they get and how many they get that aren't wrong. This is not something we're often called on to do in real life verbal interactions. Now, I am a sociolinguist, not a psycho or a neurolinguist. And my research does focus on real life verbal behaviour, so not lab tests. What do we learn from that kind of research? In general, we learn that there is a relationship between gender and language use. There are patterns of linguistic variation which are fairly clearly linked to gender. But to make sense of those patterns, there are three other points you always have to keep in mind. First of all, the patterns I'm talking about are never cases of men behave this way and women behave that way. Most of them involve small differences in the relative frequency of a particular variant. So men do something a bit more and women do it a bit less, or vice versa. Second, we have failed to find any patterns which are universal. What the key differences are between men and women varies significantly across cultures and through historical time. For example, in modern Western speech communities, it's quite a common finding that women's speech is less direct than men's, um, makes more use of certain kinds of politeness, it's more uh, correct or standard in terms of grammar and pronunciation. At one time it was thought that these might be universal tendencies. But linguistic anthropologies working, anthropologists working in traditional non-Western societies have reported quite a few examples of the opposite pattern. It's men who are the ones who use the most elevated, polite and indirect styles of language, whereas directness, vulgarity and verbal aggression may be female specialities. The third crucial point to bear in mind is that we usually find at least as much variation within each gender group as we do between the two genders. In 2010, for instance, the linguists Emma Moore and Rob Podesva published an article analysing the use of tag questions. These are structures like in it or inti, tagged on the end of a statement. 
and the people that they were studying were girls in one year group at one high school in Bolton, Lancashire. By the age of 15, the girls had formed four distinct subgroups or cliques. There were townies who had recently started experimenting with behaviours like binge drinking and having sex. There were the popular girls who were cool but not as rebellious as the townies. There were geeks who preferred more intellectual activities. And there was a group that they called the Eden Village Girls. Um, they were suburban girls who cultivated a very girly image. Fine-grained analysis of their speech showed that there were statistically significant differences in the kinds of tag questions the girls used, what they used them for, and how they pronounced them, which reliably distinguished each subgroup from the others. So very small differences between two different cliques of girls were actually marked in differences in linguistic behaviour. The existence of these subtle but significant within-group differences gives us a clue to what the real explanation is for most gender differences in linguistic behaviour. I say most because there isn't just one explanation. Some gender differences can be explained in the way I explained the tendency for men to talk more in certain formal settings. They're only indirectly to do with gender. Really what produces the pattern is an intervening variable, like status, which is linked to gender um, as a sort of secondary link. Another common intervening variable besides status is what people are doing, their habitual engagement in different activities. Different occupations and leisure pursuits may demand and therefore develop different kinds of linguistic repertoires. So if there is a gendered division of labour or of leisure, that will show up statistically as a gender difference in speech. But probably the most significant way in which gender influences language use has to do with the function of language as a symbolic resource for communicating identity. Our sense of what kinds of people we are, or want others to think we are, who we like and who we different from. For most people, gender is an important element of identity, and we put a fair amount of effort into communicating it, using all the symbolic means at our disposal. So clothes, hairstyles, the way we walk or gesture, and of course, our ways of speaking. But the reason we end up with so much variation within genders is that gender on its own is not a complete identity. People don't think of themselves as just women or men. They think of themselves as particular kinds of women and men. The various versions of masculinity and femininity they communicate are coloured by other salient aspects of their identity. Age, class, ethnicity, small subcultural distinctions like the ones between townies, geeks and girly girls in Bolton. Often it's the smallest nuances that we put most effort into symbolising and few symbolic resources are better equipped for that purpose than language. So the relationship between language and gender is complex rather than simple. As an abstract phenomenon, it shows up consistently, but its actual concrete forms are very variable. It's a mistake to discount this variation as just noise in the channel, an obstacle to elegant scientific generalisation because in fact it's the variation that's often most revealing. And what I think it reveals is that big stories which say it's about biology, it's about the, the one big difference that nature has made between men and women, those stories really aren't satisfying. 
when you look at what the data really are. So the Mars and Venus approach, whether it's in self-help books or in biological sciences, tends to look at gender and language through a telescope. And I'm suggesting that we'd be better off doing what sociolinguists do, getting in down into the detail using not a telescope, but a microscope.